So, I thought it might be, uh, I always kind of look around to check and see what's up, and everybody looks so serious, so sometimes I'll do humor, sometimes I won't. I think I, you need some humor tonight. So, <laughs> <laughs> this is lessons uh, from weird science from uh, mouths of uh, fifth and sixth graders. The law of gravity says no fair jumping up without coming back down. You can listen to thunder and tell how close you come to getting hit. If you don't hear it, you got hit, so never mind. (laughs) Someday we may discover how to make magnets that can point in any direction. A vibration is a motion that cannot make up its mind which way it wants to go. (laughs) There are 26 vitamins in all, but some of the letters are yet to be discovered. (laughs) Genetics explains why you look like your father, and if you don't, why you should. vacuums are nothing. We only mention them to let you know we know they're there. (laughs) The cause of perfume disappearing is evaporation. Evaporation gets blamed for a lot of things people forget to put the tops on. It's so hot in some places that people there have to live in other places. (laughs) Mushrooms always grow in damp places, which is why they look like umbrellas. (laughs) The word trousers is an uncommon noun because it is singular at the top and plural at the bottom. To keep milk from turning sour, keep it in the cow. (laughs) Some people can tell what time it is by looking at the sun, but I've never been able to make out the numbers. (laughs) When planets run around and around in circles, we say they're orbiting. When people do it, We say they're crazy. (laughs) Blood circulating through the body by flowing down one leg and up the other. (laughs) The four seasons are salt, pepper, mustard, and vinegar. One of the main causes of dust is janitors. (laughs) A census taker is a man who goes from one house, goes from house to house, increasing the population. (laughs) The spinal column is a long bunch of bones. The head sits on top and you sit on the bottom.
so. So last night, um, when Sharda was uh, talking about the hindrances and uh, Gil was talking about the seven factors of awakening, <clears throat> that these are sort of the uh, kind of fundamental uh, what uh, lists that uh, hold uh, this practice in some way of how to look at it. Um, and how to find, in some way, uh, the um, uh, the maga, the path of uh, what kind of hinders us, hinders us, and also what also uh, allows us to find this balance for some kind of freedom, uh, some kind of liberation. So, as I was listening to these uh, talks and thinking, well, what is it that I would like to work with? Uh, tonight in the sense of um, pieces that could help fill some of that in. I sort of came up with these uh, three words last night that uh, I would like to explore or expand on with you. And one is just the fundamentals here of uh, uh, kind of pointing to the truth uh, of um, how we experience and it really has to do with this uh, kind of uh, statement, nama rupa, which means uh, body-mind. And so I'd like to explore, explore with you a little bit this whole aspect of body and how important it is uh, in this uh, uh, fundamental practice of deconstructing uh, who we think we are and how, how we kind of manufacture things. And also the basis under that, when uh, we start looking, uh, there is uh, this word which is, comes from, uh, in these lists, uh, what is known as the five powers or the spot, five spiritual faculties, uh, which includes what Gil was talking about, the seven factors, but it has one that uh, is not mentioned in that, of course, in the many lists, uh, which has, is really this word faith or uh, trust, and I'd like to explore that with you. I, and then, uh, ultimately, uh, this word heart uh, that, when, uh, that was uh, talked about, actually, last night in Shardis towards the end of her talk. So I'd like to just expand on these. This afternoon, when I sat down and thought, well, uh, I, I just sort of decided, well, I have to juggle here. What am I going to juggle? So uh, to do that, I wrote you a poem, um, which hopefully... Uh, will kind of, uh, what, see us through uh, some of the kind of uh, what turnings I do trying to talk about these three words. So uh, I call it lost in flight. Always another mile to go. Steepness, flatness, dancing downhill. Longing. Shangri-La, some place where the knock on the door never comes, saying simply, you're out, move along, life can't wait. Stranded at the crossroads, yes, yes, you, turn inward, blushing, 
hoping no one sees that vulnerable child that you are, caught up, strange struggle, body with a mind of its own, sitting, listening, sitting, listening, body bears witness, not yours, not mine, just truth compressed by earth, small bits of truth forced through this darkness of the unbounded breath. In my weariness to rest, I slip so far down, down, down below the mind's chatter, waiting, sitting, sitting, waiting. Out of this nowhere, a small sliver of faith slips from under my tongue. This way, this way. Two words, just two words, giving heart back to itself. Separateness, long gone. Resting, unfabricated brightness. Who could know? Out of nowhere, a small sliver of faith slips from under my tongue. This way, this way. Two words, just two words, giving heart back to itself. Separateness, long gone. Resting, unfabricated, brightness. Who could know? So this uh, strange struggle uh, that uh, we go through sitting here uh, really inhabiting inhabiting uh, the, the breath and the body. And um, uh, sitting with what we make up, uh, this uh, kind of storytelling that goes on uh, continuously, uh, which um, holds us uh, for periods in captivity. But we also are found. And being found is a simple uh, process, a simple truth here that uh, allows us uh, to come back, uh, to come back into the simplicity uh, of uh, what uh, this practice. Uh, sometimes I, I like the translation of vipassana as uh, the uncomplicated come back to the uncomplicated, you know. And in that uncomplicated is this uh, basic intelligence. Uh, this intelligence is not about uh, uh, what we imagine this to be or what we think up, uh, but what is simply available, available when we, uh, in, in 
its uncomplicatedness. Uh, rest in uh, the here. It's interesting as a culture uh, how one of the uh, survival mechanisms of this culture uh, is, uh, it, maybe all cultures, but specifically it seems in this culture that at some very uh, young age, uh, I'm not sure what, I guess it varies for some, uh, but there is uh, this completeness uh, that is who we are in some way. And at some point, uh, it's so simple. You know, uh, what is it that we want? You know, uh, we want to be loved. You know, it's not a big deal. You know, you just wanted to be loved. You know. So, uh, Maybe it was as simple as, could you just be loved for who you were at that time? Or was there a message that came, and it's almost in our cultural heritage, that somehow uh, we have to perform, we have to do, we have to be, we have to somehow do something to be loved. You know? And in that uh, process of... Uh, of our uh, need for that, is that we began this uh, amazing kind of process uh, uh, called comparison. You know? And that, in a way, that comparison is this process of splitting, uh, splitting off and creating this uh, identity uh, so young. And then that, that message is that uh, if you're a good girl or you're a good boy, and you do it right, uh, you'll be loved. You know? So you begin this building up of uh, creating uh, this identity that uh, so longs uh, simply to be seen and loved. And that complexity uh, that we create eventually separates us out enough at some point where we remember, or we kind of remember uh, who we are. And when there's this kind of remembering who we are, we turn our attention uh, from looking for satisfaction uh, externally to some process, some path, some maga uh, inwardly. One of the ways of talking about this is that uh, there is ground. It's called ground uh, kind of path and fruition. And ground uh, is 
uh, based on a very simple principle. Um, I was thinking, was it three years ago? I missed teaching this retreat about three years ago. And uh, I was studying this text in this uh, Institute for Buddhist Studies called the Tathagata Garbha, uh, which uh, was really about these nine um, what similes uh, of the, the, uh, the grain with the husk or a Buddha image with a rag over it, you know, uh, or uh, the lotus flower uh, in the muck um, uh, in the kind of filth in the water, uh, a jewel uh, uh, covered, uh, different images that we're talking about when we construct this um, personality from that very early period that in constructing it, there is that that uh, is your nature. You know, it's that jewel, that Buddha statue, that lotus flower, uh, that grain uh, covered by the husk. And sometimes they talk about it as essence or Buddha nature or uh, there are many words for it. I actually, uh, probably this, I don't know if Gil would agree with this, but anyway, I, I hold this to be, uh, and my own translate, uh, translation of it, is basic goodness. That we are basic goodness. You know. And that our practice here is to deconstruct, to uncover uh, that uh, that uh, you could say that innocence, uh, that openness, uh, this clarity uh, of uh, a mind uh, undisturbed. Uh, undisturbed by comparison. Uh, it sits uh, in its own knowing. Uh, there's a, a statement in Thai Yoga Ru, which translates as uh, there with the knowing. You know, that we're uh, uh, we are in essence uncovering, taking off this, uh, deconstructing uh, the complexity. Uh, of uh, the kind of rivers of comparison that somehow um, don't allow us uh, to simply rest, uh, rest in uh, this experience of the simplicity of uh, breathing, of owning uh, the body not as uh, something that uh, we have learned somehow to overrule, 
and uh, get it to uh, do what we want it to do. Uh, but actually, the capacity to stop, uh, to, uh, in essence, to soften to this very precise and subtle uncomplicated truth. Blushing, hoping no one sees the vulnerable child you are. Caught up, strange struggle. Body with mind of its own. Sitting, listening, sitting, listening. Body bearing witness. Not yours, not mine. Just truth compressed by earth. Small bits of truth. Forced through the darkness of the unbounded breath forced through the darkness of the unbounded breath. So there's this practice of uh, our willingness to kind of reclaim, uh, reclaim uh, not just um, kind of the, the, what the multiple aspects of personality, the judge and the inner critic and the rebel and uh, these aspects of ourselves, but the simplicity of uh, this capacity to rest, uh, to actually rest in uh, what is available, what you have chosen, you incarnated, in this, it is your form. No. Uh, recently, uh, in uh, October, uh, I was on a <coughs> took a group on a pilgrimage to this Mount Kailash in Tibet, which is the uh, sort of the holy of holies for. Uh, for pilgrimages for, uh, what, um, five religions, you know, uh, pilgrimages they know for at least 10,000 years, uh, have gone to circumambulate to go around this mountain in Tibet. Uh, uh, to me, it was, uh, uh, there was the physical journey, but there was also the internal journey that uh, one, when one goes on pilgrimage, that uh, there is something uh, that has to be uh, untangled or taken away, you know, or revealed. Uh, that journey of uh, breaking down uh, some uh, possessiveness you have 
of uh, kind of who you the kind of who you think you are and kind of this whole thing around um, are you safe is is being safe really true this is from um, David White you you start to realize after a while that the consuming wish for safety and security is the wish to hold yourself from the frontiers of experience of your own life. There is nothing wrong with security and safety in the right place with our families and all the rest. But the individual human path and the pilgrimage is a radical journey of encounter and appearances and disappearances. And if you take the understanding of safety too literally throughout your life, then you will be unwilling to die at the appropriate moments and disappear. To die in the appropriate moments and disappear. And you lose your sense of courage also because when things get difficult, instead of leaping towards the center of the flame itself, you're looking for a place away from the heat. There is a way that we should be eaten by life. That we should be absolutely consumed by it. There's nothing worse than getting to your deathbed and finding that you have been gummed to death. <laughs> you have never been able to give yourself over to the teeth of existence. So on this journey to Kailash, and we, out of my, uh, I realize now my stubbornness. Um, in June, uh, as you know, in in um, what was it in March when uh, there was the uprising in Lhasa, and uh, things um, got very out of hand, and they basically uh, closed uh, Tibet to Westerners. So uh, uh, basically the decision had to be made whether we would uh, go some other route uh, or we would try to, uh, what, uh, do uh, a trek right near Kailasuk, would see it, but we couldn't get in. And so it was a very kind of high-risk situation of whether we could or couldn't. And um, fortunately, one of them is here. Uh, who uh, went with me of the 21 people that um, uh, we would attempt uh, if possible to get in and uh, as fortune had it uh, we were actually the only people who got in uh, I don't know how it happened uh, but the people after us were not let in and the people before us were not let in so we were actually the only group uh, which usually there's a lot of people uh, on this particular pilgrimage, uh, but we encountered actually uh, very few. One of the things about uh, sort of being a uh, what being a teacher, I guess you know, you kind of put these hats on and uh, you. Um, uh, you build up some protection, you know, internally, kind of internal boundaries. Uh, these images that we create, sometimes we don't know how 
uh, solid they become and uh, sometimes quite dangerous, you know, I think in any of these positions, uh, simply because of the transference and the power that's uh, 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 put onto us, uh, sometimes uh, unbeknownst uh, in our own uh, awareness of it. It's amazing sometimes, th this body, uh, how uh, it can give us things that uh, we wouldn't expect. And in this journey, the, like uh, it was the seventh day, and there's a pass. We, we stayed about 15,000 feet, I think, 15,000 <coughs> on this pass. And then we, were, we dropped down uh, into uh, Tibet from there uh, through a kind of risky uh, avalanche pass area. And um, it was a long day, uh, and this was kind of our seventh day, and uh, my shoes were coming apart, and um, uh, that's all I knew was coming apart. But actually what was happening was, uh, and I'd been to the dentist here, and they'd done x-rays and said I was fine. Mm -hmm. But um, what happens, and there, there was actually a tooth that was dying, and what happens is that uh, as you go up in altitude, uh, usually there, there are little bubbles that uh, form in the because it's very thin uh, stuff when it's dying or whatever, and they expand, right? And so I woke up in the middle of the night with this, uh, uh, you know, tremendous toothache, and um, being a good, um, you know, yogi. I'll be fine. This will be fine, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and then uh, it just simply uh, got worse. I could actually take and I would move the tooth because uh, it was so loose that uh, if I would move it enough, uh, I could it actually feel okay for about a minute. You know, so I was going right. <laughs> uh, this is one of my molars, you know, and. Um, but by the next day, uh, sometime in the uh, next morning, we trekked that day and down, and it was long and across the river, and then into Tibet and had to go through uh, customs, and um, and I was dying. You know, it was like just my whole system shut down, and I was having trouble in my left eye uh, because it was the pain was kind of causing my vision to blur at that point. And uh, I didn't say anything, and then we had a doctor with us and who, who I finally sort of said, well, I don't think I can take this. And uh, so I started antibiotics, uh, but of course they don't work for a little while. You know. So it was really two and a half days uh, where uh, my body just shut down. You know. And we were up at 15,000 feet, and there was really no way to take that kind of pressure off of it, I understand, you know, unless, you know, one of the things was to stick a needle in there, I guess, to try to lance some of the fluid in there. Uh, but um, interesting enough, uh, when the pain started to go down, uh, is when we finally uh, got to um, where we had up on this pass, we saw uh, this mountain. And uh, this mountain, uh, 
when I saw it, I began to tear up and, and I realized this was uh, some kind of primal image, you know, uh, that probably has been there for, you know, thousands of people for thousands of years, uh, that actually had an incredible uh, emotional influence on me. And at that point, we drove on down to this uh, lake, and um, I, um, this lake is where uh, people start the pilgrimage. As you go and you uh, bathe in these waters, of, this is the one of the th reasons this mountain is so revered in Asia is that the four rivers of uh, to the north of it is the in Indus and to the um, east is the Brahmaputra, to the south is the Karnali, and uh, I've forgotten what the other one is to the west, but they're all exactly uh, in the four directions, and they're all within 30 kilometers uh, of the mountain itself. You know, and this is the highest plateau, uh, I understand, actually in the world, that, that Tibet goes from 11 to about 16,000. And this is at 15.5, the lake. So you're right on the kind of the top of the world where the waters, uh, when they melt, they come off uh, and form the kind of the main rivers of, of, of Asia. And I began at this point uh, to that this pain that had happened uh, somehow got under my armoring. You know, and we, our hearts are so weird. You know, I mean, they kind of open and close, but they have all the, it's like skin, all these layers on them, you know. And somehow physical pain, this whole thing of the body itself informs us. It got underneath and began to shake the kind of the, I saw it as sort of like these, um, I don't know, like these Star Wars movies or something like all these layers you kind of, uh, cover up, uh, you know, you know what I mean, these little metal layers. Anyway, I don't know how to describe it any other way. But there were all these little metal layers, and they were uh, getting all broken up, you know. And so at this lake, I went down to the lake, and, and of course, the first thing I did, there was all this grass, and uh, I went down to just wash my face off and get the first kind of blessing from the water, and of course, I step in this grass and sink right down into the water, <laughs> boots and all. You know, it wasn't exactly warm. Uh, <laughs> but it actually begins this process of where um, it had gotten under my armor and my armoring, you know, my protection in some way, uh, this pain. And uh, I think sometimes this whole process here is I know the knees and the back and all this there's stuff that hurts and this is easier than any other kind of pain you know but it still is this uh, piece of thinning out uh, these layers of protection you know these thin layers that somehow hold us uh, from sometimes just uh, feeling the the uh, rawness uh, and the sensitivity of, of being here, you know, 
uh, this short time we have. This is called Tilichi, uh, Tilocho Lake that I thought would, uh, went with kind of the lake there. In this high place, it is as simple as this. Leave everything you know behind. Step towards the cold surface. Say the old prayer of rough love and open both arms. Those who come with empty hands will stare into the lake astonished. There in the cold light reflected in pure snow, the true shape of your own face. So at this point, I began uh, this kind of vulnerable place of just crying, you know. And I think I cried for two days, just on and off, where there was this sense of, um, uh, first, it just began with the personal. You know, and the personal was uh, all the people that I had, uh, you know, my family, my parents, everything, everybody that I had left in my life, you know, we're always leaving, you know, and we leave people and things behind, and uh, there's so much uh, pain in that, you know. Um, it, It doesn't have to be intentional, it's just the way it is, you know. We have all these personalities and different ideas and uh, love and fear and complexity uh, that brings us together and separates us. You know, that's being here. And so I began this process of, uh, you know, all the, all the relations I had, all the, um, yeah, I can say screw-ups that I had, you know, and sometimes insensitivity or uh, fear of uh, intimacy or closeness or, you know, uh, feeling trapped or whatever. All these pieces began to unravel, you know, looking at them uh, and seeing, uh, in a sense, there was this whole practice of, uh, you know, how could I forgive myself for uh, uh, the pain I had caused? You know, and then it began this process of also seeing that somehow uh, also I I had been harmed and hurt. You know, so it's this whole process of personal. Uh, and I think in so many ways we have to go through the personal. You know, we can't just um, remove ourselves from it and say, well, I'm just going to put it over here and hopefully meditation will just you know, I won't have to deal with it. But what I see here is you have to go, you have to go through it. You have to be willing, in a sense, to die. Uh, die to, uh, you know, your mistakes, your fears, uh, uh, the things you love. You know, you have to somehow, you can't get to detachment or non-attachment through putting them aside, but you have to be willing to 
go in and go through them somehow. Uh, not an easy piece to ask. You know, I see the whole piece here. This is what you're doing here. You can't escape your own stories or your own mind or your own hearts. You know, uh, they uh, will inform you. So we began this walk, actually, to start. This is uh, uh, the mountain itself. Um, uh, is a, uh, it's a 52-kilometer uh, core, a circle, that uh, one makes. And the first, you begin at what is called the Valley of the Gods. You walk up this valley. And, and my son was with me, and um, I just remember every, everybody I sort of stopped, I, kept, I just couldn't stop crying, you know. And the beauty of this mountain was that there was the personal, but uh, this was so much bigger, you know? And that somehow we can take the personal and that it can move into this when it takes the layers off, you know? It takes the layers off of uh, the separateness, you know? And we began to, uh, in a sense, from our own vulnerability, to see the vulnerability of everyone. You know, this condition, uh, last night, um, uh, this word dukkha, uh, uh, the cyclic uh, nature that we live in, has the truth of uh, this, you know, you want to call it stress or, you know, unsatisfactoriness or suffering uh, that goes with the territory, you know. But the practice here uh, is not to turn away from it, it's actually turn towards it and allow it somehow to inform you, you know, uh, inform you about how this works, you know. It's so easy to you know, I, I, one of the things was I realized how much I don't understand uh, that I'm going to die. You know, I don't get it. Do you get it? You know, I don't really get it, you know. <laughs> My mind tells me this, you know, but I don't really get it, you know. So really, this, the going up this, this Valley of the Gods, I mean, there was... Uh, you know, at the first there was just like all the the sorrow, you know, and then it was sorrow for. Uh, here was this contrast of this, you know, high pristine beauty in the mountains, uh, and then uh, this vulnerability uh, that um, was the streets of Calcutta. You know, somehow they were both there in me. And it's interesting because we got up to um, the north face of Kailash and um, this is something I've wanted to do all, all, all my life. I had probably at least 80 peoples, uh, you know, from hair to, uh, uh, you know, blood on rags. Uh, to uh, uh, 
crystals to uh, the ashes of uh, one of the, uh, uh, of the uh, one of the managers here, her son. You know, I mean, this bag of uh, kind of uh, DNA <laughs> uh, uh, that was to be taken uh, to where for centuries and thousands of years uh, people have gone uh, to leave some momentum uh, of uh, uh, the acknowledgement uh, that we have always used in some sense uh, the mountain or this like chorten or stupa or uh, the levels uh, of um, uh, clarity or freedom represented in our uh, you know, basic uh, archetypal uh, mythology. And we got up to uh, this north face, and I wasn't feeling well. I had a splitting headache. And so I just, I just wanted to find out. So the doctor had one of these little finger things you put on that tells you your, uh, your blood, uh, but your heart rate and your, uh, the amount of oxygen in your uh, blood. So I was about 68 at that point. And uh, blood was, I mean, my heart was running like a 108 or something, not too bad. Um, but um, uh, I had just this horrible headache. And I realized, oh, I have to, I had to take this uh, diamoxis. But it takes hours, actually, for it to kick in. So that night, everybody sort of went to bed, and uh, I couldn't really eat. I wasn't feeling well, and, and uh, I had this splitting headache. and. I sort of knew that the brain needed, you know, it uses about 12 times the oxygen as the rest of the body. So the rest of the body was fine, just my head, you know. <laughs> but in the middle of the night, and because of the altitude, I couldn't sleep. You know? And so in the middle of the night, then, you know, how we start making things up, you know. And uh, so in the middle of the night, I began this uh, uh, process. It really is just about... Uh, first of all, was um, the fact that you know the brain was dying, on some level, and that uh, I had remembered I'd had two friends in the early '70s who uh, had been had practiced with me, and they had gone to Tibet, and um, for and and that was really pre-diamox, as far as I know, and they came back after some months, and they both got. Uh, um, brain tumors and died within less than six months of coming back. So suddenly I was going through all this, you know, <laughs> paranoia, you know, oh my God. Uh, well, you know, this is just middle of the night stuff, you know this. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And as that began to happen, I began to ask these, you know, this whole process of inquiry, you know, of, uh, you know, okay, I'm dying. So what, what, what is this all about? What do I want out of this? You know? And at first I recognized this whole thing of precious human birth, and I thought, oh, I worked so damn hard. You know, I really wanted to wake up, and, and this, is, this is a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> you 
you know? Jiminy Christmas, you know? And then there was this thing about, you know, I realized I was afraid to die, you know, that it felt so precious, you know, and that, so there was that fear first of just dying of, of oh, uh, this can happen to me, you know, I'm not exempt from this, this is not somebody else, this is, you know, personal. And then there was, out of that came this inquiry of, um, What's this about, you know? What am I doing here? You know? And at that point, there was this uh, wonderful kind of sense of, uh, I, I don't want to hold back anymore. You know, uh, this is too precious. You know, I want to touch life in whatever form. You know, I have to stop being afraid of it on some level, and kind of step into the messiness uh, of being here on some level with this sense of, uh, on one side, the sense of clarity, uh, which is uh, what this practice, uh, I think, uh, is imperative, that it brings a sense of clarity. And the other is um, uh, not afraid to uh, make contact in the world of, uh, you know, uh, this uh, world of, of, of protectionism, you know, how can we, uh, I don't know, maybe push up against that or uh, have some way of uh, deconstructing, uh, taking down some of this armoring, some of these layers, uh, so that we can Be here, live fully for whatever time you have. You know. uh, so there was this thing around preciousness. You know. We're so lucky. You know. We can sit here in this beautiful hall. Uh, we can sit here and no matter what the pain is, uh, I promise you it's not as bad as uh, abscessed tooth. <laughs> okay? Or any other... Thing, but it is a training. It's a training that actually says, could you please just don't turn away from it, don't try to fix it, don't try to make up some new story about how, you know, your back did this or that. Actually, it's okay. Don't do that. Just turn towards it and see how it informs you. And can you stay with it just a little longer? Maybe don't move. Maybe just stay with it a little longer and see... Uh, Ask your heart. No. This is from uh, Dennis uh, Liebertoff. It's called The Fountain. Don't say, don't say there is no water to solace the dryness at our hearts. I have seen the fountain springing out of the rock wall and you drinking there. And I too, before your eyes, found footholds and climbed to drink that cool water. The woman of that place 
shades her eyes, frowned as she watched, but not because she grudged the water, only because she was waiting to see we drank our fill and were refreshed. Don't say, don't say there is no water. That fountain is there among its scalloped and green and gray stones. It is still there and always there with its quiet song and strange power to spring in us up and out through the rock. Up and out through the rock. It takes a lot, um, you know, the, uh, coming to this practice, uh, I was talking about the five spiritual powers, and uh, really the extra one is this word, uh, faith. You know. And there's faith, of course, there's blind faith we know about, but there's this verified faith. And part of this process is beginning uh, uh, this exploration that, uh, begins uh, to give us a, a sliver, a sliver of this faith. And this faith is really, uh, to me at least, it has to do with the capacity to trust uh, this um, basic goodness that's in me, it's in you. And that uh, I think a lot of times this process used to be, uh, you know, like interviews coming in and uh, I always thought, well, I had to have all these techniques and all this stuff that I was trained and all that stuff. But, you know, ultimately, uh, what I see is that uh, the practice is this capacity to stay awake, uh, to stay awake uh, to uh, uh, this basic goodness, you know, and to see uh, that whatever is happening uh, is this basic goodness in front of me. Uh, you are uh, that basic goodness. You know. And somehow uh, to hold that, to keep that. Uh, and sometimes it gets quite confusing because uh, the stories and the old wounds and the scars and the uh, confusions uh, uh, trick us, trick me sometimes too. But ultimately, this capacity to begin to kind of trust this part of yourself, you know, that uh, you know about, you know, you know it. And it's so simple because the practice, this practice of the uncomplicated and also this basic intelligence that when, uh, in essence, we can feel our bodies, uh, and not be deceived uh, by the stories, uh, but allow, uh, in an essence, this uh, mind to be free uh, of its complexities. It can still tell stories, you know, but they come 
as part of your wholeness, not as your separateness. You're okay. You're really okay. This is uh, also from uh, David White. It's called Faith. I want to write about faith, about the way the moon rises over cold snow night after night, faithful even as it fades from fullness, slowly becoming that last curving and impossible sliver of light before the final darkness. But I have no faith myself. I refuse it the smallest entry. Let this my small poem, like a new moon, slender and barely open, be the first prayer that opens me to faith. this first prayer that opens me to faith. It's a tricky word. I think a lot of times I um, uh, hold it in the sense that uh, uh, learning to trust, you know, and to trust in this uh, kind of seed in us, this basic goodness uh, that uh, can become our ground. And when uh, it becomes our ground, uh, then um, what did I write here at the end? Separateness long gone, resting unfabricated brightness. Who could know? Unfabricated brightness. So, um, to end here, I'll just read this, my poem again, uh, to finish. Um, Lost in Flight. Always another mile to go. Steepness, flatness, dancing downhill. Longing. Shangri-La, some place where the knock on the door never comes, saying simply, you're out. Move along. Life can't wait. Stranded at the crossroads, you, yes, you, turn inward, blushing, hoping no one sees the vulnerable child you are caught up, strange struggle. Body with a mind of its own, sitting, listening, sitting, listening. Body bears witness. 
not yours, not mine. Just truth compressed by earth. Small bits of truth forced through the darkness of the unbound breath. In my weariness to rest, I slip so far down, down, down below this mind chatter, waiting, sitting, sitting, waiting. Out of nowhere, a small sliver of faith slips from under my tongue. This way, this way. Two words, just two words, giving heart back to itself. Separateness long gone, resting, unfabricated brightness. Who could know? So let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.